I started pastoring here uh, when I was 28 years old, 1976, and been 42 years. Uh, went along for a while, didn't know what I was doing, uh, less than I do now. And uh, 1989 was a really key year for me. Went over to the beach with 26 other pastors in what was termed the first prayer summit. And at that summit, during a four-day time, I basically uh, made commitments to disciplines and practices that I have stayed with since then up to this day. That was a key in my life in the sense of uh, even being here. I made a commitment to stay here till I died at the coast in 89. 1990, my dad died. And uh, when he was sick with liver cancer, I, re- I thought, you know, I've never once said to my dad, I love you. He'd never said to me, I love you. We were close. He was a great dad. And so I, I called him to tell him that and couldn't say it, get it out, and hung up. And so I called him back and couldn't say it, couldn't get it out, called him a third time, finally was able to say, Dad, I love you. And he said it to me. And afterwards I journaled. And I thought, wow, that was, why was that so hard? And then I, I realized that I'd been married to my wife for like 20 years. I'd never said I love you to her. So I made a goal to tell her five times a day, I love you, and started on that. And uh, a little awkward at first, you know, sometimes I'd forget, and it was all just before we went to bed, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, but I had to get my five in. And then one day she asked me what I meant when I said that. And I wasn't sure when she asked what the answer was, uh, but I thought about it and studied about it, and finally one day I said, okay, this is what it means. It means... uh, I'm committed to you. And I had seven commitments, promises that I had written out. And I said, every time I say I love you, I'm remaking these commitments. I won't give you seven. I'll just maybe share one that was, I'll not get angry at you, not even a little bit irritated, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you do it. Um, That was significant because of my history of having a problem with anger, making that commitment and promising every time I say I love you, this is what I mean. I went to a seminar shortly after that. Oh, and then I decided, and I, I told my dad, I told my wife, I might as well say, I love you to you. I love you. I appreciate all the help this morning, uh, but uh, I had planned to say it a little bit later. So, it doesn't mean I like you, though I probably do. It doesn't mean I'm going to take you fishing, though I probably would at least once. What does it mean? Uh, I thought about that. I went to a seminar. And in the seminar, they were saying, you need to write a mission statement for your church. You need to have a personal mission statement. I remember going to that thing thinking, man, I think a person has to smoke marijuana to do this. Uh, And I got a little frustrated with the whole attempt. And one day, I remember I was praying in the kitchen with some other people, and I just had sort of this uh, thought popped into my head. I know. Um, Number one in your notes, Jefferson Baptist Church is the I Love You Church. We're continually saying, I love you, to God, to each other, to the lost around us. So that was our mission statement. That's who we were. We are the I love you church. We say, I love you to God, to each other, to the lost around us. What does that mean? Well, uh, we came up with commitments for, to God. This is what it means. We'll seek you, and, and by seeking, read the word and prayer and others, and then for each other. And then for the lost. So this series, I'm going to do three-week series on, on this thing. And so when I came to me, what's my mission statement? Uh, I thought I, I want to be great. Well, I didn't want to 
podcast that. That sounds a little arrogant. But I put it this way. I aspire to greatness, uh, which means I want to pastor JBC so that it becomes a great church. A great church is one that's accomplishing the Great Commission. It's accomplishing the Great Commission by obeying the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. The Great Commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourself. Uh, I want to be a great pastor by pastoring a great church because it's accomplishing the Great Commission by obeying the Great Commandment. And we obey the Great Commandment by keeping the one another in commands in the New Testament. So here they are. You've got them there. There's 21, but I reduced it down to 12 because there's some that are sort of similar uh, synonyms. Be humble in my relationship with one another. Honor one another. Be hospitable to one another. Do not judge one another. Pursue peace with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Do not speak against one another. Reprove one another. Pray for one another. Greet one another. These are commands in the New Testament, and they all define what does it mean for me to say I love you. Well, it means I'll do those. That's my commitment when I say I love you. It's not a statement of affection. It's a statement of commitment. This is what I will do because of our relationship, because uh, we are in the same church together. And if we were to do that, my, what a place that would be. I mean, we could just go right step into heaven. Uh, that's the way it would, it would happen. Number two in your notes, the one another in commands can become a habit through discipline. That becomes a growing skill that involves into character. So any one of those, uh, forgive one another, it's not natural for us to do that. What's natural is for me to be uh, bitter and to take revenge, but to forgive graciously, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you do it, that's, it's not, uh, takes a little bit of work. So it starts out what I call duty, dry as dirt duty. You just do it because it's right, because God wants us to do it. And then it moves to habit. That that's, becomes easier. Then it becomes you. That's who you are. That's what you do. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to try. It's because it's your character. But it takes a little bit of time before that happens. So as together we say, I love you, and we work on these, that's what we become. And when we all become that person, that is, this is who we are on the inside, uh, then it becomes a marvelous place to be in a great relationship uh, Titus 3.14, let our people learn, learn. See, that's what it takes. We have to learn. It's a skill that we acquire, a habit that we get. Learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good. It takes a bit of work, but we can get it down. So the way we do this, number three, God has made rules of life, and when we follow them, life works. They're usually opposite of the world's rules, so we often are ignorant of them. Uh, the word that's used is counterintuitive. Uh, they just seem upside down and backwards, the rules of God. And when we follow them, they work. When we don't, they don't. It's as simple as that. Uh, and so God is consistent uh, with what he does. Everything uh, follows his principles. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, it goes down. You can brick predict to the second when it's going to happen because God's consistent in his rules and his laws that he makes and these laws and rules are very very consistent Second um, Timothy 2.5 if anyone competes as an athlete he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules we understand that in football the same thing is true in life Proverbs 14.12 there's a way which seems right to a man but its end is the way of death so 
let's suppose this is really, you know, wild, strange, but it'll, it'll work, this illustration. Let's suppose you tell me that you have decided that you can fly. Uh, nobody else can, but you're going to pull it off. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to go up in an airplane 14,000 feet and you're going to jump out without a parachute. And you're pretty sure that because of that situation, God is going to protect you and guide you and he's going to give you the ability to fly before you hit the ground. And you tell me that and I say, no, 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 don't do that. That's bad. That's stupid. That's dumb. Don't do that. And, but you climb in an airplane and fly up to 14,000 feet and you jump out with no parachute. About halfway down, you decide that you've done something dumb. And so you call me on your cell phone. This is where the illustration kind of gets a little stretched, but, uh, you know, it'll work. Uh, you call me on your cell phone and you say, hey, Pastor D, I'm plummeting to the earth as we speak and I, I'm going to die, I think. Could you pray for me that I don't? Now, I might lie to you and say yes, but I'm not going to pray that you don't die. I'm going to pray that the next however long you have, it's a wonderful time with you and God before you see him face to face. Will it do any good for me to pray for you not to get killed? No. You are going to get splashed on the ground because you just violated a basic law of God and prayer doesn't change that, doesn't fix that, doesn't get you out of a jam that you violate that. So many people, uh, you know, I read them in the prayer letter, none of yours today, I'm sure, that way, and requests that are made to me. What they're wanting is God to fix what they've caused by breaking his rules. I need to say this uh, gently if I can, but clearly, prayer isn't going to fix that. You violate the rules of God, and the consequence of doing that is in your life. What we need to do is we pray that we understand what those guidelines, rules, principles are, and that we live by them. Because when we do, life is good. When we don't, life is bad, and prayer won't fix it. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours my thoughts than yours. So we need to find out what God's ways are, what his rules are, and they're in the Bible. In fact, I'll give them to you this morning, a few of them. Number four, this is rule number one. Rule number one, when we put others ahead of ourselves, our needs will be met. When we put ourselves first, our needs will not be met. Counterintuitive to the way we live, but that's the law of God. That's the way it works. That's the way it always works. You put you first and your needs will, be not, will not be met. You put others first and your needs will be met. It's a simple law of God. Uh, Tim Groom in our church, he's just had so, shoulder surgery, so I think he's home recuperating, but he has a place up in Soldotna, Alaska, that a number of us go up to every year in July and catch sockeye salmon. He's kind of fixed it up as a little lodge, and my son-in-law, who lives in Fairbanks, came down. He's a builder and did some work for him. And he brought my grandchildren with him. They have six. And he poured some concrete in front of these little bunkhouses, and their handprints are in the concrete. You can go out there with a bucket of soapy water and try to scrub those out, but they're set in concrete. They're there, and now you bust the concrete up. So that term, set in concrete, means it's fixed. It's not going away. It's not going to change. This law is set in concrete. It always works. God created it. When you put others first, your needs will be met. When you put you first, they won't be met. 
Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another. One another is more important than himself. That's not a good suggestion. That's a command. Let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Luke 6, 38, given will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So we naturally hoard, we hang on to, and when we do, we always are short, always wanting, never have enough. But when we give it away to others to help and to care for uh, and to love, then God blesses and we get it back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Here's another rule, number five. Our relationship with God is greatly influenced by our one anothering disciplines. So I can put it this way. Your relationship with God does not rise above your relationship with people. And so if you think, okay, I'm going to just, you know, people are all a bunch of knotheads, always messing up, treating me bad. I'm just going to check people and just have a relationship with God. Can't happen. You say, why? Well, because God is in charge. He makes the rules. And if you don't love people, you can't love him. If you don't serve people, you can't serve him. If you don't have a relationship with people that's growing and healthy, you're not going to have one with him. That's just the way it is. 1 John 4, 12, no one has beheld God at any time. If, you, if we love one another, God abides in us. Notice the word if. If we love one another, God abides in us. If we don't, then he doesn't. That's just the way it is. Matthew 25, 35, I was hungry. Jesus speaking here. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Our relationship with God is a result of our relationship with people. And when we love people, care for people, forgive people, then we grow in our walk and relationship with God. John 1, uh, 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, that's the basic law of God set in concrete. Here's a third rule. Number six in your notes. The more we do for others, the more God will do for us. This is a cause and effect principle. God operates cause and effect. You do this, God says, I'll do this. You do for people, I do for you. You meet people's needs, I meet your needs. You give to people, I give to you. That's just the way it is. It's a law of God set in concrete. I take medication for my Parkinson's every eight hours, and occasionally I kind of get <clears throat> forgetful and I, I forget to take it. Well, about four hours after I forget to take it, <clears throat> I get kind of shaky. Can't get a leader through the eye of a hook, because you know, it's shaking, and my handwriting gets shaking. What, what's going on? I forgot to take my medicine. It's a pretty simple thing. Take the medicine. Don't shake. Don't take the medicine. Shake. What would you do? I'd take the medicine. It's what you call cause and effect. Take it, 
Good. Don't take it, bad. Serve people, God serves you. Meet people's needs, God meets yours. Not rocket science. It's God's law, God's rule, but often we don't get it very well. <clears throat> Hebrews thirteen sixteen, Do not neglect doing good and sharing with, with, with such sacrifices God is pleased. Psalms 34, 14, Depart from evil, do good deeds, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good. In due time we will reap, we will reap. That is, God will bless if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good. Uh, care for, meet the needs of all people. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. So God always gives back what we give even more than we give. He always blesses when we give. Psalms 125.4, Do good, O Lord, to those who do good. Number seven, this is the fourth rule. The more we do for others, the more others will do for us. <clears throat> this is a great rule for marriages. So how do you change someone? Do to them what you would like them to do to you. Treat them the way you want them to treat you. It's the law of God set in concrete. It's the way it works. Uh, some of you don't pray the prayer letter. If I know that, if you put a prayer request in the prayer letter, I skip over your name. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but the rule is, is the more you do for others, the more they will do for you. You want much prayer, you pray much. If you don't pray much, you're not going to get much. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you serve, the more you serve. The more you pray, the more you're prayed for. That's just the way it is. Um, do not be deceived. What you sow is what you reap. And we tend to reap it from other people in our life. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. This is the law of the prophet. That means it's set in concrete. The law and the prophets. It's irrevocable. Luke six thirty one. Just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. Galatians five fourteen. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." <clears throat> Number eight. This is the fifth rule. We can't help everybody, but God brings opportunities into our life to help some. So the rule basically is don't pass on opportunities. I remember the very first time I held Patty's hand. I took her up to Trout Lake where I grew up, where my parents lived to meet my parents, and it was in the wintertime, snow on the ground. So we went up to play in the snow, and, and she fell down, and I reached down and and helped her up. And when she got up, I didn't turn loose. thought, this is nice. So I just held on for a while. Uh, first time holding her hand, it was, ah, she seemed to like that, all right. Second time was in the student union building. Friday nights, we would have a date, watch Mission Impossible. Didn't cost any money. I was into those kind of dates. And one time we were sitting on the couch watching Mission Impossible, and I held her hand a second time. It was kind of nice. She didn't seem to object a whole lot. Um, Mission Impossible. You remember that program? Starts out by this voice in this tape saying, Jim, this is your assignment. Should you choose to accept it? 
Uh, Ten seconds, this tape will self-destruct. And if any of you or your team are caught or killed, we will deny all knowledge of it. This is your assignment. God gives those to you all day long. Now, they're not going to be a cassette tape or a video or a CD uh, sent to you in the mail. It'll simply be an opportunity. You're just going through life, and all of a sudden, there it is, an opportunity to do a shoebox for kids in Africa or this or that. Little things, big things, just needs that pop up. Those are God's divine appointments for you, assignments for you. And the statement is, you can choose to accept it or not. It's your choice. It's your choice. Galatians 6.10, so then while we have opportunity, that is when we have this divine appointment, let us do good. Colossians 4.5, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, of every opportunity that comes into your life. So the problem, the problem of this whole thing comes up against the wall. All these rules, there's a reason why we don't do them very much. Number nine, the biggest barrier that we have in our pursuit of being a good lover of others is the inconvenience factor. Inconvenience factor. You know what that is? I don't have enough time. I'm too tired. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. It's not convenient. doesn't work out. So we choose not to take advantage of the opportunity, the divine assignment that God has brought into our life. And we miss what he's given us to do. So Jesus says, here's the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And some dude in the audience says, so I don't quite get that. What do you mean? And Jesus tells this story. We call it the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Jesus replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, went off leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why? Because he was in a hurry. It wasn't convenient. Guy's half dead, but I don't have time. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, the Samaritans hated Jews, but even still, um, he came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, came to him, bandaged up his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So Jesus tells that story and answers the question, how do I love my neighbor? Inconvenience is a big problem in our life. Number 10, rule number 6, when we are faithful to the opportunities, the divine appointments that God provides, that God brings into our life, he will give us his strength. Obedience comes before power. I hear Christians all the time say, I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. And when they say that, I think to myself, they're not doing too well in their marriage with their kids at their job at church. And I think to myself, that's not a true statement. God gives strength to those who need it to do something with their life for Him that matters. If you are too busy, you don't have enough time, you're too tired, you don't have enough money to choose to take advantage of the opportunities that God brings into your life, there's no power from Him. Power comes after obedience. It's not something that is yours by an alienable rights of Christians. It's those who obey Him, who serve Him, 
who take advantage of the divine appointments that he brings into our life. He gives you the power. You don't have enough strength. He gives it to you. Colossians 1.29, For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, strengthened me because, there's always a because, there's always a reason, because he considered me faithful. Number 11, rule number 7, when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life, he will give us his joy. That's our greatest desire. Every human wants to be happy. Problem is we don't know where to get it, how to get it. We think vacations and cars and houses and and uh, stuff will make it, bring it, but it doesn't. God gives joy, and he gives joy to those who serve others, who obey these one another in commands. Acts chapter 20, Paul's quoting Jesus here. He says, In everything I showed you that by working hard, in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said is more blessed, which means it brings more joy into your life to give than to receive. Number 12, rule number 8, when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to help others, we will have more time. More time, how do we do that one? 168 hours in a week, isn't that one of those ones that's set in concrete? Well, it isn't that you get more time, but you take 168 hours and look at any given week and say, how many hours are spent in emergencies that you had no control over, things that just happened, even minor things that aren't that bad a deal, just somebody stepping into your life that you hadn't planned on, and there's some time, and there's some time, and there's some time, and time just has a way of escaping out of our life. It just kind of gets blown away, and we're always in a hurry for time. We don't choose to do things for other people because I don't have enough time. We don't choose to do things for other people because I don't have enough energy. We don't choose to do things for other people because I don't have enough money. And you'll never have enough when you don't give to others your time and your energy and your money. The only way to get more is by giving because God is in charge and he made the rules and they're set in concrete. Haggai 1.6, you have sown much but harvest little. You eat but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put it into a purse with holes. A purse with holes. Moving on to verse 9, you look for much but behold it comes to little. When you bring it home, I, this is God speaking, I blow it away. And if you look at the context, the reason is because he says, you all are running into your own homes and taking care of your own life and you're ignoring the house of God. Therefore, all your efforts are in vain because I blow it away. So it's the law of life. Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. Uh, hang on to it and it will disappear. you lose it all. Uh, you want to have more? Give more. You'll get energy strength from God, so give your energy to others. God will give you and make time, more of it available if you give it away to others. He'll give you more money if you give it away to others. That's just the way God operates. Give it away to others. Meet people's needs around you as an act of love, and you get blessed big time by God. Keep it. Look out for you, and you'll always be poor. That's just the way it works. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
for loving us, giving us your son, Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sins. You gave the greatest gift possible because you love us. And we want to say to you, we love you and to each other. And Lord, it's easy to say, I love you and not do anything. If we say, I love you and don't do anything, it's meaningless. And so we as a church want to be faithful to these one another in commands to see those divine appointments that appear in our life all through the course of a day and a week and take advantage of them. When we do, you'll supply all that we need, the energy, the time, the resources. That's just the way you are. I pray that we would not operate the way the world does, the way our flesh says uh, or the devil would tempt us into, but, Lord, we would follow you and your principles. And uh, then when we do, life will work. It will be blessed. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.